If you're in any kind of leadership in the church, we often talk about programs or ways that we can get people to the church. But you know what? Jesus said in Matthew 16, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. As we look at David's kingdom, we'll learn a little bit more about God's faithfulness in building his kingdom and how we can get on board with that. That's today on Walk in Truth. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. I think even the rulers of the 11 tribes in the north knew that David should be the king. Why did they go with the flow? Because that's what we do sometimes. We go with the flow. We know that things should be a certain way, but we give in. We compromise. We say, ah, it's too much work to battle this one. And that's not what we should be doing. Now, we'll come back to this boy's story. It'll be told in chapter 9 and other places, but this is, uh, we're about to move into some mature content. Just a heads up if there's any young ones in here, parents. So the sons of Ramon, the Barathite, Rechab, and Banah, verse 5, departed and came to the house of Ishbosheth in the heat of the day while he was taking his midday rest, verse 5. Now these two characters that are introduced in verse 3, they have family ties to Saul's household, show up at the house where Ishbosheth is taking a midday rest. Now, I mark that in my Bible because I want to be able to make an emphatic case that a midday rest is biblical. Can I get a witness? All right. So if anybody's ever bothering you because you're taking a nap during the day, now this does not count in church. There are no naps in church. All right. For years, I've been dreaming of a system where I could know your seat number and just give you a little zap from the pulpit if I see. (laughs) Right? So we're working on that system right now. A midday rest, what a glorious thing. When you're a kid, you don't want to sleep. When you get older, you want to sleep. Right? It's one of the great inventions of all time, a midday rest. Now, I hear some people say, 15-minute power nap, that's all you need. 15 minutes, bro. No, 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 no. Look, if you're going to take one, minimum is an hour. Don't you think? Anyway, however, I will tell you this. Where, Where we are moving right now in this story, the recommendation to Ishbosheth should have been take the nap with one eye open because this is going to get ugly. They came to the middle of the house as if to get wheat. Now, showing up at the house and being connected in some way as family to Ishbosheth wouldn't have been a big deal to the servants and the guards. So obviously they let him in. They said, hey, we're, we came here to get some wheat thins. Uh, that's why we're, we're here at the... Oh, they didn't have those back in the day. But they wanted to get some wheat. And they struck him in the belly. And Rechab and Banah, his brother, escaped. We're going to get more detail, but he's taking a midday nap. They go in under the pretense of, hey, we need some wheat. And they went into his bedroom and they killed him. You're like, what? What's going on? Family members turning on family members for the sake of power and position? Oh, unheard of. 
Yeah, right. And so they go in while this guy's sleeping and they murdered him in cold blood. This is the honesty of scripture, right? We, we read some of these stories and we're like, man, what, what's going on? It just tells the story. This is what they did. They killed their own family member. How many of you have watched, maybe you're home sick from work and you go onto one of those channels that shows uh, investigations into the death of a spouse and almost every story is either the wife or the husband ended up killing them. And usually what was it about? It was either about another person that they were with or money. Well, this has been the story of mankind. We can watch it on primetime TV now. Saturday night, they play the special mystery at this place. What's happened? Someone else has killed their spouse. And for what? For another relationship that's probably going to end up at the same place that that one was at? Because, by the way, you're part of the problem if your relationship's not going well. I know it's hard to take. But it takes two to tango. Jesus said, you'll know people by their fruits. These two men... Their plan was, and this is going to get brutal, but they're going to take this guy's head to David. And they're going to say, David, look, look what we've brought you. This shows our allegiance. We're going to take care of the guy that's been vying for power. It says, now, when they came into the house, verse 7, as he was lying on his bed in his bedroom, they struck him and killed him and beheaded him. And they took his head. This is a Gruesome detail, but this is what happened. And it, by the way, the same thing happened to Saul after he died on the battlefield. The Philistines did this to him. They traveled by way of the Arabah all night. They struck him, beheaded him, took their grisly trophy and headed for Hebron, about 60 miles, with the head in hand. And they had a plan. You see, these two brothers could see the writing on the wall. They knew that David was gaining power in the south. They knew that Ishbosheth was in deep trouble. And when Abner died, they said, uh-oh, this is it. This is curtains for the household of Saul. How, Saul's household was already growing weaker. David's was growing stronger. The power behind Ishbosheth was now dead. David was being blessed by God. He was growing stronger. He was God's man. And these two men said, ah, here's an opportunity. Yeah, he's our family member and all, but if we take him out, this will please the king down in the south. And guess what? We'll probably get some nice positions in David's kingdom where girls will fan us with those fans and feed us grapes all day. And David will say, these are my two favorite guys. But they made a slight miscalculation. Almost like, and some of you are thinking of it right now, the Amalekite who came to David in chapter one of this book and said, hey, uh, Saul was dying on the battlefield and I finished him off. It was his request and uh, it was a bad career move. Do you remember? He ended up paying with his life. He didn't understand David's heart. Well, this assassination that happens to Ishbosheth is going to change everything. And some of you may, saying, may be saying, yeah, this, this does eliminate all threats to the throne in essence where is God in all of this? 
Well, God lets people exercise free will. He's going to use this for the elevation of David and the unity of the nation. But he didn't need these two guys' help. He didn't need them to speed it along. How many times did, Saul, uh, did David have a chance to kill Saul and David wouldn't touch him? If they knew anything about David, they would have known that to show up in this way and say they finished this guy off was not going to go well before this king. He was a different kind of king. He trusted God. He did not believe in manipulating things for his own gain. He knew if God made him a promise, God was going to keep it in his way and in his time. Do you? Do I? I'm a mover and shaker by nature. I, I like to make things happen. And God's constantly trying to get a hold of my coattail and say, slow down, Michael. I got this. I'm like, but Lord, if I, if I just did this over here, wouldn't this help you out? No, I'm okay without you, Michael. <laughs> How about you just get on board with my plan? And so they brought the head of Ishbosheth, verse 8, to David at Hebron. And they said to the king, Behold, look. <laughs> I don't know how they got in and all that, but the head of Ishbosheth, the, the son of Saul, your enemy who sought your life. Thus the Lord has given my Lord the king vengeance this day on Saul and his descendants. Look what we did for you, king. Sorry, but this is it. <laughs> you see, we're faithful men. This was your enemy. He is nomas. He's no more. Aren't we good? Aren't we grand? Well, as I mentioned, they are going to make a serious miscalculation. 2 Samuel 9.1 says, David asked the question, is there yet anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Do you know, David, even after all of this was going out of his way to show in Hebrew, has said to the family of Saul, the family that really, because Saul did this, was his arch enemy, he wanted to show them kindness. A soft answer turns away wrath. Sometimes we, you know, people expect us to fight and we show them kindness instead. And oftentimes it blows people's minds. They don't know what to make of it. You've heard of the old phrase, killing people with kindness. There's something to it. It's the Lord's kindness that leads us to repentance. Sometimes we feel like God's going to throw the hammer down on us and he's gracious with us and he's patient and we're blown away by his loyal love. This Hebrew word all over the Bible used over 200 times is hased. It speaks of God's covenant love, his loving kindness, his steadfast love. In the Hebrew picture language, it means the door of mercy and protection and refuge and foundation. Sometimes we're, we're full of fear and trepidation and we don't know if we can even come to God. And he says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I, I'll give you rest. I know who you are. I know where you've been. I know what you've done. I know what you've muttered. I know what you've thought. I know the things that you would never admit publicly, but you know what? I love you anyway. Come through the door of mercy. That, this is why David is such a grand picture of the greater David, Jesus, because he surprises us with how he deals with people. He deals with people. 
Hey folks, I've been telling you about different ways that you can connect with Walk in Truth. And one of the ways you can do it through modern technology is download the Radio Scribe app and search for Walk in Truth. There you'll have access to all kinds of cool resources, including one thing I'm going to highlight today, which is a devotional. It's a video devotion I've done on, will God give you any more than you can handle? Question mark. I'm sure you've had that question. It's a five minute video devotion. It'll bless you. You can refer friends to it and hopefully it'll help you with your walk. Download the Radio Scribe app, search for Walk in Truth and check out the devotion today. God bless you. speaks of God's covenant love, his loving kindness, his steadfast love. In the Hebrew picture language, it means the door of mercy and protection and refuge and foundation. Sometimes we're, we're full of fear and trepidation, and we don't know if we can even come to God. And he says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I, I'll give you rest. I know who you are. I know where you've been. I know what you've done. I know what you've muttered. I know what you've thought. I know the things that you would never admit publicly, but you know what? I love you anyway. Come through the door of mercy. That, this is why David is such a grand picture of the greater David, Jesus, because he surprises us with how he deals with people. He deals with people who are broken like lepers and people who are caught in the act of adultery and people who were outcasts of society like little Zacchaeus in Luke 19. And the people mutter and say, why is he going into his house? He's been ripping off everybody in the neighborhood. And Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house, for he too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. David was surprising in the way he would deal with Saul, and yet very just and righteous when people did wicked, as we're about to see. David answered Rechab and Banah, his brother and sons of Ramon, the Barathite, and said to them, as the Lord lives, this is oath language, who has redeemed my life from all distress. You might want to mark that. It's a great statement by David, and I believe you can own it. I've owned that one for my own life. The Lord has redeemed my life from all distress, all straits, all trouble, my biggest trouble, sin and death. He's delivered me. He's my redeemer. David says, the Lord has redeemed my life from every distress. Why this? Why now? I think to say to these brothers, I didn't need you to do this. The Lord's been on my side this whole time. The Lord's been the one that's been weaving this tapestry together. I didn't need you to come with the head of this king in the north. God was going to take care of things. In fact, he's already been taking care of things. He's redeemed my life from every distress. Praise God. Mark it for yourself. He is my redeemer. He's purchased me. He's bought me. He's redeemed my life from all distress. When one told me, David reflecting back on the Amalekite in chapter one, saying, behold, Saul is dead and thought he was bringing good news. I seized him and killed him in Ziklag, which was the reward I gave him for his news. Now, the two brothers have to be a little bit unnerved at this point. They had to be feeling pretty good walking in. Hey, we got the head. We're good. This is going to be, we're going to get ahead in life. Yeah. Anyway, and, and now I'm sure they're looking at each other and going, you know, uh, this is not what I expected to hear. He's talking about 
as the Lord lives, redeem my life from all distress. And talking about some Amalekite seven years ago, and it, it didn't go well for him. And hmm, this could be bad. Well, it's going to be bad. Verse 11, how much more when wicked men have killed a righteous man in his own house on his bed, shall I not now require his blood from your hand and destroy you from the earth? And then David commanded the young men, and they killed them and cut, cut off their hands and feet and hung them up beside the pool in Hebron. But they took the head of Ishbosheth and buried it in the grave of Abner in Hebron. Wow. David gave the order. They cut off the hands and the feet of these men. I know some of you may not want breakfast now, but it's okay. It may help your dieting. The Bible can do that for you if you read these Old Testament accounts. Anyway, some of you will get over it quickly and you'll be at the donut table, I know. But. And as a public display of humiliation and judgment, they hung these guys up, which was kind of the, wor the worst humiliation you could have. In fact, Deuteronomy says, cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. And when they publicly displayed Jesus on the cross in Jerusalem, this scripture was at the backdrop of that. You see, the Son of Man became a curse for us that we might be the righteousness of God in him. He took the, the punishment. He was treated as though he were a Capital criminal, though he was completely innocent. Why? For me and you. That's what God did. This is how God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so these men are hung up, and they're put there for all to see. Ishbosheth is buried with Abner, which is quite appropriate. That's the end of this chapter. Have a nice Sunday. No, I'm just kidding. I don't want to end on that note. I'm going to show you a little bit in chapter 5 as we prepare our hearts for communion. And I think this is a very appropriate way to end our morning together. I want to show you what happens to the nation. This is a little sneak peek. We'll read the first five verses of chapter 5. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David. So this has all happened. This king in the north is dead. These these uh, family members are dead, and all the tribes, and you're going to see this is representatively, they're not, it's not a million people there, but, or however many are there at the time, but it's represented, represented by the, the elders. All the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, behold, we are your bone and your flesh. You could translate this, we are your body. Previously, when Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel out and in. Speaks of leadership in battle. And the Lord said to you, you will shepherd my people Israel. You will be a ruler over all Israel. By the way, this, there's a prophecy in Micah 5.2 that reads very much like this about Jesus. You will shepherd my people Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron down in the south and King David made a covenant with them before the Lord at Hebron. Then they, that is all the tribes, not just Judah, anointed David king over Israel. And David was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned 40 years. At Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months. 
And in Jerusalem, he reigned 33 years over all Israel and Judah. When Jesus began his public ministry, the book of Luke in chapter 3, verse 23 says, Jesus, as he began his ministry, was about 30 years old. Uh, scholars count three Passovers from the time Jesus began his public ministry till his death and believe that Jesus died at 33. Uh, it is interesting to look at these numbers. David began to reign at 30 and reigned uh, for this period of time. Jesus began his public ministry at 30. One of the initial onsets or uh, affirmations of that public ministry is Jesus came to the Jordan River in Israel, came up to a man named John the Baptizer and said, baptize me. And John said, oh, whoa, wait a minute. You need to baptize me. I'm not even worthy to untie the thong of your sandal strap. Why do you ask me this? And Jesus said, let it be done that we might fulfill all righteousness. Jesus' baptism in the Jordan River was not because he needed to get baptized for repentance. He didn't need to repent of anything. He was following in the fallen footsteps of his fractured people. He got baptized in the Jordan River because as the children of Israel were baptized in the Red Sea and came to the other side of the sea, they didn't believe God. They spent 40 years in the desert in doubt and fear and caravans planning to go back to Egypt. And God said, man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And Jesus, from his baptism, went into the desert, compelled by the Spirit to be tempted by the devil for 40 days. And there, where Israel failed in the wilderness, Jesus retracing the fallen footsteps of Israel, Jesus succeeded. And three times when the devil came to him, he said, it is written, it is written, it is written. And he did not fall to the temptation of Satan, and Satan fled from him. Where Israel fell, Jesus succeeded. The whole story of the gospel is the God-man at 30 publicly being anointed, if you will, at his baptism by the Holy Spirit, being baptized for the ministry of three short years, maybe three and a half, that he might fulfill all righteousness, go to the cross and die for the sins of the world and rise for our justification. And the Bible says this, the greater David, the son of David, has come, and if you will believe on him. If you will make him your king, you will live. If you will receive him as your Lord, which is another way of saying king, your savior, if you will come to him and say, you know what? We made mistakes. We shouldn't have given this guy in the north our allegiance. We knew all along you were the king. We knew all along you were the anointed one. And if you will say to him, this is what the Bible says, if you will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, if you will believe in his death on the cross and his resurrection, if you will turn from doing it in your own strength, trying to build your own kingdom and do it God's way, if you will come and say to his king, you are my Lord, you are my savior, you are my life, you are the answer, you are my strength, he will save you. But you must decide to be loyal to his kingdom. 
You must have a moment when you turn away from all the other things. And this beautiful picture of this nation coming to David is a picture of salvation where they say to him, you know what, we realize you are king. We will anoint you as our leader. And we, as people of God, need to say that every day of our lives. You are king. I set you apart as Lord of my life. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's why I'm in church every Sunday, by the way partly because I have to preach, but mostly because I made a declaration when I got saved. As for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. I don't care what anybody else is doing. I care, but you know what I'm saying. I'm going to serve the Lord. Have you decided to make him your king? You know, before we come to his table, which anticipates a time in his kingdom where we will sit down and eat and drink with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of God, and we're going to be celebrating forever the gospel. Before you come to this table, let me just ask you, do you know him? Have you made him your king? He invites you to come. He says, look, you, you, you all know you're saved by grace. This is not by works. But you have to have a moment when you decide you're going to give him your loyalty. You're going to follow him. And then you come to his table to anticipate his second coming, and to remember his death for you and his resurrection. So let's take a few moments. If you have not met Jesus personally as your Lord and Savior, let's make sure you know him. And if you're a Christian already, maybe just a little business and saying, Lord, I just want to get closer this morning. I want to receive more of your strength, more of your direction, know you better. Let's just take a few moments right now. Father, we just thank you for all the precious people that have come out on this Sunday morning to worship you in spirit and in truth, to hear your word, to sing your praises, to come to your table, to fellowship with other believers. We are so grateful, Lord. We don't want to even take one Sunday for granted. But thank you so much that you gave us this gift with your head and heart bowed. If you've not met Jesus, it's something like this. Lord Jesus, save me. I believe that you came into this world to save me. I believe you died on that cross for my sin. Pray it if it's you right now. Settle it. I believe you rose from the dead for my justification to save me, to make me right in your eyes, to pay my ransom price. Please forgive me, Lord, for trying to build my own kingdom, for trying to do things in my own strength. Be my Lord, be my Savior, be my strength, be my King. Change me from the inside out, Lord. I want to be born again. Pray it, if it's you, to a living hope in Christ. I want to know that my sin is forgiven, that there's hope beyond the grave. Thank you for providing all of that. Lord, for those who have opened their hearts, for Christians who are wanting to just get a little bit closer to you today, um, for your honor, we want to come to this table to remember you. So bless each person as they come and I pray you strengthen them through this time in Jesus' holy name. Hey folks, I'm excited to tell you about another way that you can connect with Walk in Truth. Download the Radio Scribe app and search for Walk in Truth. There you'll find a lot of cool resources. You'll be able to listen to messages. You can access devotionals and you can partner with Walk in Truth and help us reach more people. Download the Radio Scribe app, search for Walk in Truth, and find a lot of cool resources there. I know it'll be a blessing to you. God bless you.
Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Pastor Michael would love to hear from you. You can write him when you visit walkintruth.com.